This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and welcome to another episode of the 3D Pod. And with me, as always, is Maxwell Vogue. Hi, Joris. How are you doing today? I'm well. I'm well. How are you doing, Max? I'm good. I'm very good. Who do we have on the 3D pod today? Well, today we're joined by Jochen, uh, Jochen Loek. And uh, Jochen is the Automotive Business Development Manager at Fraunhofer IPT. And if you don't know, Fraunhofer is like the original, there's a bunch of different research institutes from the German government that further the, the adoption of technology for Germany and the world, really. And IAP, IAPT is one of them, and they specialize in production technology. And Jochen's been working in 3D printing for uh, quite a long time, uh, since uh, uh, 2015. And uh, he used to work in, in, in training. Uh, and then later on, he ran the, uh, uh, the academy at uh, Fraunhofer IAPT. So he trained uh, a thousand plus people on, on, on additive manufacturing, 3D printing. And now he's uh, doing automotive business development uh, for uh, trying to find automotive customers and do automotive applications for Fraunhofer. So, uh, and I really love uh, working, working with Jochen, so, so it's uh, really nice to have him on the show. Welcome, uh, Jochen. Thank you, Joris, for inviting me to this podcast. And I'm really looking forward to this common exchange. And let's see how it goes, yeah? Yeah, for the people, I tried to explain it a little bit. What's Fraunhofer exactly? What, 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 what is it to somebody who's not like a German person, or most Europeans will know yeah. that. But... Yeah, 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 that's a good question. So uh, to understand Fraunhofer, it's not a typical research organization, not a typical university-driven research um, organization that you might know. It's an applied research. So we are the biggest organization in the world for uh, applied research. So that means that uh, we are not only funded by government, but we also have a big impact in our business um, from B2B. So we work uh, directly a lot with uh, companies. And our our mission of Fraunhofer is to transfer um, knowledge from research to actual innovation and to uh, yeah to the real world. And um, our target is not to research for the research target, but to have real economic applications. And in this way, we are uh, more entrepreneurial than a standard uh, research organization. Yeah, and and IAPT specifically looks at production technologies, right? Yeah, for additive production technology. So um, we've been um, yeah more or less acquired um, two and a half years ago um, from now um, by Fraunhofer. Uh, we've been before Laser Centrum, um, so Laser Center, and we had a strong focus before already on on additive manufacturing, and then we've been a dedicated um, institute for additive manufacturing, and have all kinds of topics. Um, that we are covering here, um, typical topics of design, quality, um, process material, system development, and for example, also software development. It's a very broad approach um, to, to additive manufacturing. What is your particular focus these days um, at the Fraunhofer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, as Joris mentioned, I'm, I'm responsible for our business development and for our development of our automotive activities in general. So I'm also doing consultancy in this field here. Um, so my most recent job was 
to uh, do a project with the company Fiat Chrysler, which is now joined with uh, the Peugeot um, company PSA. And um, yeah, I had a about one year project with them. And um, this was more a consultancy project where I was active as a project manager. And now after after this project, um, I'm in a new phase of um, my role where I'm more on the yeah development business um, role, kind of acquisition sales on the one hand, building up new strategies for automotive, building up new topics, and um, yeah, try to 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 innovate within automotive. This 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 project you did for, was Fiat Chrysler. Now it's called Stellantis or something like that, right? The combined company. Yes, yes, yes. It's uh, called Stellantis. Uh, yes. Uh, and and what what did you what did you do for them? Because I thought it was really interesting. I don't know what you're allowed to tell about this, but, but I thought the project itself was very interesting. Yeah, it was very interesting for 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 us and very exciting for me as well, because it was not a standard project um, that we do. It was a pretty holistic project, also a big project. Um, so what we have done is we basically. Um, build up an innovation partnership with them, um, having like different uh, fields of knowledge um, in this project. For example, we had um, process topics, material topics. We had quality engineers, both design engineers, software engineers from ourselves as well as from um, um, Stellantis' point of view. So we really merged um, our competencies in additive manufacturing innovation with their um, specific knowledge on implementing additive manufacturing in, in automotive. And they were really closely working together. I was living for half a year in Turin just to, to make sure that uh, we understand the customer, to build up trust, to build up a common network and to, to work as close as possible. Um, and it was really an exciting project because it was so holistic and we really did everything from the beginning, from identifying parts and after we identified them we we redesigned them then we thought about how we can improve using different materials how can we improve improving the process and in the end even we've been thinking about the same parts but how do we really do right specifications here so how do how do we determine the, the quality assurance which is a very tricky thing so it was very holistic and very exciting in this way and what kind of parts are you making for them? What can you tell us about that? What kind of parts are I they making? I cannot speak in detail, let's say. Um, so the one that is published um, is a wheel carrier. It's an integrated um, wheel carrier system, including, for example, the knuckle, the brake flipper, heat shield, and many other parts. So integrated 12 parts into, into one system or one assembly. And um, this was the more or less chassis part. Um, in, in, the, in, the, in the wheel area. So um, this was one of the parts that we investigated, but there were more that I cannot speak about in detail. So oh. I'm sorry. Can, can but, you, uh, that's all right. Yeah, yeah. Can you talk about the materials at all? Is it like mostly metal? Or? Yeah, yeah, sure. sure. Yeah. So this is um, mainly it's aluminum, it's 10MG, so it's not really a surprise. Um, anyway, we also investigated other possibilities and looking into other steels because Normally, it looks like that steels are more more expensive because the production rate is lower than with aluminum. But the advantage of steel is that it has a higher strength. And if you really, um, if you if you have special parts with special load cases, it's really possible to to make the, the parts way thinner and 
make them almost looking fragile, I would say, and have mm. such a low volume that that it's actually um, more more um, cost efficient to to use the steel. So uh, we've investigated these two two approaches here. And is that does that mean like that you have a better buy to fly generally? Is that what makes it more efficient, or is it just uh, is it just the fact that you mm -hmm. you're able to reduce mass and then you'd reduce mass across the vehicle? Mm -hmm. or, or so both, the main or? target is. To, to reduce the mass and the volume of the part, um, mm -hmm. because in the end, the volume is the main cost driver um, in additive. So um, if you can reduce the volume of the part, you reduce almost at the same same ratio um, the, the, the cost. So um, people think always that we reduce, that the target is to reduce weight, to, to be more eco-efficient mm -hmm. or something. But if you look into the real world, um, they want to reduce the weight um, in order to 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 reduce the part cost, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's just less time on the machine, less machine hours, and also the material yeah. is quite expensive. So, so you reduce these kinds yeah. of things, and that makes it much more viable as well, right? Yes, yes um, exactly. But usually, the costs in the automotive world—they're talking about like the several dollars per per part, right? Mm -hmm. We're usually are used to speaking about several hundred dollars per part. Are we mm -hmm. really able to kind of bridge that gap now, or is it only for very specific things? Or yeah, it's challenging, but for a couple of thousand parts, it's possible. Um, these are high-end cars, so you mm -hmm. should not expect to, to put it into a golf soon. So um, the, I just heard a, a presentation from Volkswagen where the engineer said, if we would print one part, only one part from a golf, we would not have printing capacity in the world to print this part, just to give <laughs> some perspective. So normally they, 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 they print in millions or 100,000s mm -hmm. of parts and mm -hmm. now we're speaking about maybe 5,000 parts and mm -hmm. um, obviously there are special parts uh, which mm -hmm. are in this, in this area and mm -hmm. there are a lot actually but um, it's not like everyday car. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, well, are in an automotive factoring though, in the manufacturing aspect, are companies printing the jigs and tools, mm. things of that nature, where you only need like a hundred or a couple hundred, but they're very yeah. specific. Yeah, yeah, this makes totally sense. So it's part of, let's say, operational excellence and um, lean management and so on, which mm -hmm. is cool and saves a lot of cost and is sometimes a little bit underestimated because it can save a lot of cost easily. Um, it's a low-hanging fruit, so to say, but obviously, uh, as an engineer, you're more interested in improving the product as well and to get an, an, into the real product. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's actually, it's actually quite well known. I think, I think it's also one of my uh, favorite ways of how companies can get to grips with additive. This is a really good example, lockout, uh, tagout tooling, and um, uh, kind of like efficiency or operational excellence tooling, and also kind of jigs and fixtures are usually not under the same regulatory system or the same system that the, the car manufacturer functions under. So they can be improvised a lot more. So they're kind of a gateway drug for 3D printing. So I like this application with the yes, jigs a yes, lot. Yes, yes, And it builds up the necessary manufacturing competencies that you need also for the, uh, in the end, for the serial production of um, additive manufacturing products. So uh, just taking FCA, I think it's uh, published that they, investigated additive manufacturing for prototypes, gifts and pictures for, for years already. So mm -hmm. um, they had a sufficient knowledge on, on manufacturing of, of these parts, which helps a lot because uh, manufacturing and design um, are really interconnected in additive. So um, having these 
specialist already um, gives us a lot of benefit. Um, cannot stress this point enough. So it's very important to to put uh, manufacturing engineers in general together with design engineers and editors. Is that also like kind of a holistic? We've heard about people look at holistic approaches uh, to, for projects as well. And also in, in, in doing these design projects and getting everyone in the same room, is that really very crucial? Uh, I, can, I can tell from my experience in Torino, we've been really sitting all in one room. Uh, um, you have a, this rather this agile, scrum um, feeling and like this traditional feeling. So if you really want to have progress, learn fast and so on, you need to, to, to lock these people in a room and you will be excited how fast <laughs> you can progress in such a short time. Mm-hmm. And is it also because I've, well, okay, my personal opinion ever is like, okay, these holistic pro- projects that you've seen, you, you seem to have done successfully at, at Salantos, I've seen a lot of these fail, but, but due to like institutional change, due to somebody else in the organization going, no, mm-hmm. I don't want it. You're messing up my, uh, my beautiful production system. I <laughs> and, and is, is this kind of change management element? Is that still really, really important? Yeah, sure. I think politics always plays a role. Um, I cannot judge this and I cannot, even if I, if I know something, I cannot talk about this, obviously. But mm-hmm. in general, for editors, very important that you have coverage from your higher management. And this is not something related to this project. I think we've, we've had many projects um, that were initiated and covered up by, by management, at least middle management. Um, you need really, you need, you need, you need at least um, some coverage from from the top to get the political things going in such big companies. That's normal. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And I, th- I think the brake calipers are a really interesting part. Is it, is it? Well, how did that even? Why did they even do that? What was the the, the reason behind behind that? So uh, obviously, um, Bugatti is not an armored car, so on and so on. It's, uh, highly expensive car and there were many motives to, to go into additive. It's just a perfect car for, for additive. First, the people are are obviously having a lot of money who are, who are having these cars and they have a real bond to the car and additive plays a lot of roles into the strategy of Bugatti because first of all, weight saving. It's not only about for them to increase the speed or reduce fuel consumption. That's not so much the point. Um, but the point is that if you have such a car, um, you are limited in the way you can bring on the street. So if you want to drive this car on the street, it's only allowed to, I, I think, three and a half pounds. So you have to stay below this weight. And, and this is a challenge, for example, as well as um, optical things that play a role. Yeah? It's, a, it's an emotional product and these biomimetic structures, bionic um, structures are really making become more beautiful and, and not only more effective, but also beautiful. And in the end, it's also a cost factor. So I think for, for, for them, um, having the small uh, lot sizes is uh, pretty expensive and um, reducing the, the, the tooling cost and so on is obviously one of the main advantages of additive for, for automotive. Uh, you don't have to comment on this, but like I, 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 I'm pretty sure that on the original Veyron, they did the dashboard out of, uh, I think it was polyamide, because they couldn't get, because uh, all the dashboards were like uh, unique. Uh, and they had, and the whole car was unique, so they had to print, they scanned the car and then, then custom made a dashboard to fit in the car, because otherwise it wouldn't fit, because the whole car was made by hand. And I said, never ever oh, go like anyone. An yeah, no, as in, they, they, it's all by hand, so they're all a little bit different. 
So then they, they couldn't yeah. make one dashboard, so they had to 3D print it. I've never gotten any confirmation from anyone at Bugatti on this one. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't have to comment on it. But it, uh, and and I, I loved it. I, I wanted it to be true. I don't know if it's true. I probably never know. <laughs> like there's a bunch yeah, of watch companies of that, that are really good at not getting back to me. <laughs> and I, I, know that that, I know that that's not going to happen. So... Um, and so, so on the high end, I, th I think we we see that these things are being used. Uh, Koenigsegg or something uses them as well. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of one-off cars. Is that starting to percolate down into into more, uh, uh, let's say, more normal cars? Let's say. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think this is the target of most of the people in the industry. I mean, like having cars that are produced in lot size of maybe five thousand. Is already a big jump uh, compared to Bugatti, <laughs> mm -hmm. which is maybe produced, I don't know, a couple of hundred times. Um, I don't right. know exactly, but um, I, I think, I think um, it's, it's, going, it's going to the next step for sure. Um, you can hear this from BMW. Um, I expect also other companies in the car manufacturing world that they are expanding to this. I know that they're part under 5,000 um, lot size. Um, in, in, in serial production, so um, it, it's it's happening, but it's happening behind closed doors, and it's it's normally not like like that. The, the most interesting economically projects are the ones that are presented to outsiders. So mm -hmm. they try to hide the really interesting part sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, there's always like like you know the, the G bracket kind of equivalent. <laughs> You know, everybody's like, yeah. oh my God, it's like a door thing. It's, it's like a thing to hold down the roof. Yay. And it's a very visual <laughs> part, usually, that looks like uh, uh, the Geiger uh, did it, you know, the guy, the, the guy from Alien, mm. you know. Uh, and and <laughs> that's really cool, but it's not. Uh, so the, the logic for me always has been, of course, like, for example, imagine trying to make a better combustion chamber uh, for, mm. for using additive, or imagine taking very massive parts that are very, very solid and reducing the, 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 the mass mm. or the weight of these parts. That's, imagine like you know things like electric motors and stuff there, there, there are some parts out there that make a ton more sense than some door latch or uh or something like that yeah just generally i mean why is the the the, the automotive industry so interested in 3d printing why are they because it's, it's one of the few industries um where you know everybody seems to be on board definitely all the large german companies seem to be working on this mostly the large european companies have been working on this for a long time uh the americans are a little bit behind i don't know about people further afield from that but it seems to be kind of like a, a near, you know, for the big European players, it seems to be a near universal thing. They want this to happen. Yeah, there are a couple of reasons. I think one, one, one reason that is sometimes a little bit underestimated is um, that they want to save tooling costs. They have KPIs on tooling costs and so on. The tooling cost reduction is uh, a big pressure, especially because they expect lower car sales in the future. And um, because they expect lower cost sales in the future, they want to prepare by uh, making their production more flexible to, to, to smaller lot sizes. So um, they have a strategic agenda of reducing uh, touring costs. So this is, I think, a big driver um, and an underestimated driver. I think the second one is obviously um, they hope they can save some weight, on, especially on high-end cars. Um, so in the end, uh, we say electric vehicle and so on. Um, weight could be a more differential factor or, or has become over the years already. And um, I think sustainability of the, of, of the car plays a role as well. 
Um, but obviously, the main reason is the cost reason and reducing investment cost. Yeah, because right. like maybe people don't know. I guess a lot of people would know. I mean, <clears throat> if you have a car uh, which has many thousands of parts, a lot of these parts have parts to make these parts <laughs> and, yeah. and the, the molds and everything it kind of really really adds up for a car i mean this is a huge huge yeah. cost component um and yeah. it's also costs that, that you don't see or costs that also maybe even the volkswagens or the porsches or whatever in the world don't see because it's their tier one two three suppliers that have to make all these molds and and, and all the tools for the molds the molds are really a pain um also because in the development phase, um, you have mm -hmm. to invest in the molds, even though maybe the part is not final. And you mm -hmm. have to, you have to consider this that automotive has huge investment in mm -hmm. um, developing new cars, and one of the big parts of the investment is besides engineering, is the, are the molds and the tools. Mm -hmm. So um, if you can um, print some of the parts. Um, even for PC production and prototyping, it saves them a lot of um, development costs, and they can reduce the development cost of the of the cars. And um, also, obviously, if they put it into steel production, there there are a lot of tooling costs involved. If you, I think, a car has around ten thousand parts, um, mm -hmm. and I don't know how many have a tool, but uh, in the back, but the production technologies to have a tool. I think almost all the technologies have a tool, um, but some of them have high tooling costs and some of them have lower tooling costs. And uh, if you look at all the stems and casted and forged parts, they have, um, I don't know, part, I think it's five digit um, tooling cost just per part. So that's, that's a huge. And also, I mean, I think we have seen this in space, or thanks to NASA, because they publish everything, you know, nobody else in the space industry is saying anything. But uh, we can then also see an acceleration for two reasons. One, we can make things quicker, right? Uh, but also, like, we don't have uh, unforeseen delays across this process, like a tool waiting for a tool to make another tool, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, the speeding up thing, you know, it's a really huge advantage, but it doesn't seem to be top of mind for the automotive guys. Actually, I think uh, almost all com all kind of companies that I visited mm -hmm. in the beginning, they start the first business case, and it doesn't matter if it was um, aerospace, mm -hmm. automotive, or others, mm -hmm. the first business cases where they produce maybe a couple of, or let's say it's more serial production, um, mm -hmm. or full serial production, the first mm -hmm. business cases were mm -hmm. um, parts where they had delays. So... It mm -hmm. was like yeah, uh, we cannot wait for yeah. tool yeah. for for two or three months, yeah. and, uh, because we otherwise the, the whole product would be delayed, and you you don't mm -hmm. delay a whole product release just because one part is missing somewhere. So mm -hmm. this is a typical first business case, and I think mm -hmm. it has not enough attention because um, mm -hmm. a lot of success stories started this way. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think the only True. case is public is the Lamborghini CRP case where they have the. And it's like the weirdest part. It's like a part for a a a, 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 a window wiper for the the lamp on the on the. I think it's the mm -hmm. Diablo. Mm -hmm. And, so, and that's the only case that's ever been published. But the bridge manufacturing thing has been huge for us. So I think it's it, and and that's one of the cases that I like that we're not. There's no institutional resistance because we're a problem solving technology. You know, we literally get called and there's a bunch of worried people and you get to save them. And then that's that's a very different thing than than you coming in and saying. Hey, I'm going to make something out of this exotic plastic. It's going to be made in a completely different way. <laughs> and it's going to be way more yeah. expensive. And people are like, what? <laughs> Go away. Yeah. It's 
Yeah, and, and automotive is very KPI driven. The most companies are, and if there is no pain, um, they they are often not innovating. So um, there are a couple of players, obviously, who have innovation budgets, but not everybody has. And um, mm-hmm. if the pain is high enough, and in this case, if the pain is high, as manufacturing mm-hmm. can be a bridge technology. Mm-hmm. And I really want to stress that, in my opinion, we are not at all at the end. Um, in terms of rich technologies, I'm thinking of pre mm-hmm. production for automotive yeah. and other industries. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I think to have a more systematic bridge technology is something that we need to neglect it even as good, yeah. um, but could be very interesting in terms of uh, cost savings and mm-hmm. implementation and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or just something, Max and I were talking about this all earlier with this resilience thing, uh, where it was like you have like a customization unit in Switzerland or whatever that does the customization, but could in emergencies produce parts for the regular production as well. You know, that kind of a thinking, I think, would, would really help these kind of guys. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and also, what I also think is is actually kind of strange because there's uh, the European Union for some reason loves this whole spare parts thing. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, the, tra- yeah. the train system. In America, they're like, we can make better missiles, guys. Okay, right. And exactly. Holland, we're like, exactly it's a button. It <laughs> it's a button. <laughs> it's a button for your microwave, you know, and it has to go 180 C, and they both have the same <laughs> problems, but like. You know, <laughs> the Americans want to print magnets a lot more than we do. Now, um, but, uh, but but the thing is, like you know, the, the and then BASF with its replique services kind of caught up to this idea of doing spare parts at scale. But also that you know these car companies must have billions of dollars in spare parts flying around. I've seen a couple of these buildings. It must be astronomical. Unbelievable potential. Yeah. Um, so so really, um, I'm, I, I think for the next years I will focus a little bit more on this topic in our institute. I want to drive our institute a bit more into this direction because mm-hmm. I, I, I'm I, I'm an industrial engineer from my heritage point of view, and I, I have some understanding of how logistics works. Um, spare parts business is kind of conservative. That's a bit of a problem here, but mm. um, yeah, there recently a lot of the suppliers get bankrupt so people are like mm-hmm. oh, oh well we had a contract with the supplier to for 20 years to supply the spare parts but mm-hmm. now the supplier is gone and uh, we don't have the tool anymore and to get the tool we need need to wait three six months minimum um, we have to re-engineer the tool and so on so i think there, there there's a lot of potential in there and uh, Still, also big challenges. So um, it's not an easy field, but um, innovation mm-hmm. is not easy. I love the idea as well of kind of like uh, kind of a combination between aftermarket and spare parts, where you would get like yeah, you know, maybe you get like the little the instead of getting the replacement for the little air conditioning vent, you get an improved one, right? right? So you, yeah. you re-engineer it because we don't have to use the same mold, right? As long as it fits yeah. in the in the same yeah. way, yeah, yeah it yeah. can be a better thing as a result. No, upgrading the world through spare parts is, I think, yeah, totally. definitely something. <laughs> yeah, and printing yeah. on demand for parts is is ideal, yeah. right? Like you're not, they're not in that warehouse just sitting around having cost you money and costing you yeah. money to store the damn thing. I actually also think that this this vision is like the perfect vision, and I think we are not so far with polymers, but more mm-hmm. far with with metals. But mm-hmm. even if we can. Mm-hmm. Not print completely on demand, so mm-hmm. we can order and then put out of the printer. There's still uh, still uh, a lot of warehousing and lot size. Mm-hmm. So if you if you mm-hmm. want to, we are at the tool topic again. So if you if you want to order ten parts of a casted part, you will never get it. They will say oh, you have to order at least one thousand or five thousand parts. 
otherwise we will not produce a new tool. So forget it. And um, this is also a point that you, you you buy more spare parts than you really need. So you have full warehouses, and with additive you could at least reduce the number of parts in the warehouse systematically. So even if right. they are not gone completely, you have a dramatic decrease, which is already quite a big benefit in my my opinion. Also yeah. coming back to to Joris, I I I also. I'm surprised that there are no more use cases like this kind of pimp my right style um, thing. You know, <laughs> like yeah. this aftermarket things where uh, they yeah. make something super fancy in the auction mm-hmm. system or whatever. I, I have maybe you've seen more than than I have, mm-hmm. but uh, no. I haven't seen many uh, applications here, and I see this no. also as a big potential. Yeah, it's also re- from a regulatory environment. In the states it's actually really all the problems in cars where you're like. I remember pitching to a car guy something like a mass customized product in the in the car in the in the the passenger compartment, and the guy blanched. Right, it was years ago, and the guy's mm-hmm. literally like his face got all white and stuff. He's like, "These these guys are nuts." Like like near his head, yeah, kind of. It could be near his head, you know, <laughs> under the right circumstances. And they were like just freaking out over that. I mean, so that kind of it's good that they're safety conscious. By the way, let's let's applaud that. But. Uh, <laughs> but in a, from an aftermarket point of view in the states, it's kind of like go for it, you know. You're, you're kind of yeah. like there, there, there's, there's uh, it's, the regulatory landscape's a bit different in other places, but in the states, it's super yeah. open and it's a, it's a tens of billion dollars industry only in America. And I think it's yeah, so yeah, weird yeah. that you see all these people like I'm going to make a Me Too 3D printer or something, and no one is just like, yeah, like pimp my 3D ride or whatever. I, I just think right. it's the most obvious business that hasn't happened. It's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. and it would be super fun as well. It would just be super fun because you could make the most yeah, insane stuff. These guys are super creative, and I'm I'm one percent sure that out of this playing around, some great innovation yeah. can happen. So, yeah. so playing yeah. is part of a part of innovation, and um, mm-hmm. I, I think these kind of guys are more creative than average engineer and so on. So, mm-hmm. uh, it would be great to, to see some use cases here, and maybe yeah. some of the listeners can is know somebody or is himself into this. Yeah. I would like to to speak to people like this. Why it hasn't oh, happened yet? The, I, I think I can answer why it hasn't happened yet. I think it's yes, the software. Ah, okay. I think one of the hardest parts is uh, is we still don't have a big enough mass of people who know how to use you know padding software effectively mm. um, for for these kinds of purposes necessarily. I'm sure there yeah. there are definitely people out there that can do it, but I'm saying it's not like um, you know how like in the 50s like you mm-hmm. go out and and fix your car like you know now it's also more complicated that you need computer systems to check the car and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But to do the pimping stuff, you also need to get your caliper out and measure everything and then go uh, in the software and spend, you know, three months just making that part and then printing it out. Um, <laughs> so I don't think yeah, it's the totally. print that's the limit. I really think it's the software that's kind of the bottleneck right now. It's also that these kind of hand-crossing guys are sometimes not the guys who, who, who are the most like open ones for, for, for um, high-end cut solutions. And you need high-end right. cut solutions here. Um, mm-hmm. Because these crossing guys are more likely to use simple CAD and not structural optimization and stuff like this. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. do some milling machine stuff and stuff like that. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember as well, like in electronics, we were trying to introduce like housings and stuff because we thought, oh my god, all these guys are making these houses for these electronics projects, right? For a hobby to companies and stuff. 
housing is going to be great. And the only thing you have to make is a box, right? And we just found like a lot of these electrical engineers were just like, uh, what's a CAD? You know, and and that was just also so yeah. I could totally buy your 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 story. That it's just like, these guys. Then yeah, <laughs> these guys don't know these the right people or these they don't tools. Have yeah. yeah, exactly. They're just not even yeah. aware these tools exist on some level. Yeah, and they don't have the yeah. They can't you know you can't expect an electrical engineer to spend two thousand hours learning how to CAD just for like to make a housing like you know whatever. Right. Woody, you know, <laughs> you're gonna use an Altoids yeah. ball. Uh, automotive is very exciting, but what I really think is also really kind of weird is that everyone from the vendors and stuff is always focusing on the BMWs of this world and stuff and the Daimler and all this. But, you know, we know the automotive supply chain is huge. And you've got these tier three guys that are making these actual mm. molds that we're talking about. And then the, the tier mm. two guys that are assembling it into part and the tier one guy will make mm. it into like a complete dashboard or whatever. And I see comparatively very little going on in like the kind of the Johnson controls, whatever ZF, what all these guys yeah, that are kind of like doing the, a lot of the actual manufacturing is being done by them. And I see them taking very little interest in that of it. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I think there is more happening maybe than is visible, but they, they have problems with this. And I think this is because of the nature, how, how um, automotive is um, working in the end, because mm, the, 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 the main, main, I mean, not to all the suppliers, there are different kinds of suppliers, but what, what you see is that, being Q1 supplier or Q2 supplier for automotive is the low-margin business. So mm-hmm. um, it's always focused on efficiency, operations excellence, lean management, and this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that automotive, simply the, the, the big OEMs, they are pushing the efficiency pressure that they have mm-hmm. to, towards their suppliers to, to have margins and mm-hmm. they have margins at the OEMs mm-hmm. and they are they are able to invest but the, the suppliers I think ha, don't have this long term budget to do something that mm-hmm. works out in five years and mm-hmm. um, they, they this is this is really a big problem because we need investments also at the tier one suppliers but mm-hmm. there are some at least moving um, so um, we are in contact with some um, and. We are really want we really want to fix it up bigger projects with them uh, other projects, but still. Uh, so I think there there is something happening, but I think that you one supplies most of them, not all of them, will jump on the train once there is zero production really ongoing. Um, mm-hmm. But they are not like doing investments for something that might can happen in five years. This efficiency mm-hmm. pressure kills innovation, in my opinion. Yeah, okay. Well, that's actually a shame because that means that if a large OEM would be like, "We okay, uh, I'd like a million, <laughs> like a million parts now," there's going to be a huge amount mm-hmm. of lag between the moment they think because, like, the thing is, if I would buy a Ponderbed Fusion system today, I would have mm-hmm. to buy, let's say, two, and I'd have to invest like, uh, let's say, three million or whatever, right? And then I would take like mm-hmm. six to eight months to kind of get it to work, kind of, right? Now, if I would mm-hmm. then like do full production of like a spec part that's like certified for whatever, right? That's mm-hmm. going to take me a long time, and we're not going to be able to do this in weeks. I mean, we're talking like, you know, this is yeah. several years, right? And even, I'm a yeah. smart guy, smart women, smart everybody, right? Um, it's not instant. There is no way to accelerate yeah. this, right? So, right. And I, I totally agree. So I, I totally it, agree. So, sorry. Yeah. I don't know. I just think that that's going to cause a lot of lag. It's going to be like, uh, but yeah. I can't make it. And then the only thing I can do is either buy existing production sites, of which there aren't many. Mm-hmm. There's that... Uh, there's a couple in Germany, and there's a couple of guys that can do this, but also like there's only like four or something, four or five. And and if those sites aren't available anymore, then what are they going to do? Just wait. <laughs> I, what I can say is there are suppliers who are seriously doing this, but 
in, in general, yeah. compared to the overall supply chain that exists in automotive, it's still very little. And some of them are just making this small um, tech center for prototyping approach where they have mm-hmm. incremental steps to, to implement mm-hmm. additives, which is fine. And, and but, um, I agree. And uh, once there are parts, I think you mm-hmm. have a strong USP if you are able to to have a qualified qualified product. Um, if, if you can show that you have specified mm-hmm. products already running for your production and so on. So, and the ones that are able to invest, I think they 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 have like a better market situation than they have normally, and maybe get some mm-hmm. products that they normally wouldn't get. So I, mm-hmm. I, I see, 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 see this as a potential as well as obviously also a threat. But um, yeah, I, I think also that the OEMs don't want to work with like this 3D printing service roles much. They want to work with the tier one suppliers. So um, I think there will be pressure on the tier one suppliers once their parts are, are developed. Hmm. Yeah, okay. Uh, I thought I, th- I think there's a couple that that uh, I think we um, kind of could figure it out, right? Uh, uh, there's and there's a couple of, of these guys that also have IP uh, in this area as well, so it's, it's quite easy to know, even if you don't know, that these guys are are uh, um, are, are busy on it. But that's mm-hmm. going to be a big shift. And then another thing that's really interesting is that uh, was is the following. I mean, now we're these cars are kind of in the skateboard business, right? So we're making skateboards. We've got this electronics all on the bottom, right? And the the, the everything is, uh, the, the engines and the batteries, uh, everything's in the bottom. And actually, we're putting the car we're building on top of it, right? It's kind of like how cars used to be made, where you have a rolling chassis, and then there's a coach builder building a car on top of it. Do you see options there as well for, for, for the car industry to radically change? Sorry, I didn't get the point here. To, to like oh, customize? Yeah, what do you mean, George? Yeah, yeah. well, the, the idea is that we used to build like a body on a, a roll or whatever, like that we used to build the entire thing in one integrated way, right? But now you mm-hmm. could actually think of, of building the entire batter, the drive unit or the rolling chassis plus the battery and all this. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it's a skateboard, right? So one could think of a factory making many, many of those. And then you could have another factory that essentially would put the, the, the entire chassis on top of it. So it would just change the entire process because like you wouldn't have to put the engine in on top of a factory. You could only make uh, the, the body, for example, or it would just be simpler because all the electronics are in the bottom part made in like kind of an automated production step. You know, we just, I don't know, to me, it just looks like it could be really like the art of manufacturing a car could change really radically and split into kind of two different things, you know? Yeah, but I think I, I see the point, but I think, I think that at the moment, um, this is not so much considered, at least I don't know if anybody has considered this this idea yet okay. so no, i haven't right. heard about well, this idea before yeah. i think good that's another to... startup i should do there you go there's your start <laughs> <laughs> next startup, yeah. <laughs> Too many okay ideas. i join Sorry. you i join you yeah, yeah. <laughs> i want to oh, actually i want to do well actually i, uh, I do have a I, I am maybe going to do something like okay 3d okay. printed heat sinks what do you think it's it's I think it's a big. It's going to be a big deal. What do you What do you think? Aren't people yeah. already three D printing heat sinks? Yeah, totally, totally. So, but so I'm not this, yet. This, <laughs> but you're not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, so this is a typical field where, yeah. I, I mean, I, I speak to real automotive guys who, are, especially in the high end cars, who say the heat sinks are shit. So basically, they say it's, it's they're too big. Um, they are not efficient. They mm-hmm. feel too much room in a very important phase of the car, and mm-hmm. so so they say basically this this heat 
changes that we have are in terms mm -hmm. of functionality um, are not good. Um, but in mm -hmm. terms of cost, they are so much competitive. Yeah. And I think I think there are I, I have I can assume who is looking into these things. Um, I'm not one of percent sure, but I know that there are one or two high-end premium um, companies working in this field in a very dedicated way. And still, my feeling is that people talk a lot about it, but mm -hmm. actually implementing it, there's a good step. So I, I don't know. If you have really an idea for, for heat and startup, I think there are many applications here. And it would be possible really to, to, to develop some new heat things that are disruptive. Um, and mm. I, I don't see I, I don't see that people are doing actually the investment to do this. So mm. I, I, my feeling is that that lot of editors see at the moment we are at a space where um, people are a bit skeptical because yeah, mm. the breakthrough is not really here. And mm. heat exchanges is a very good example. So they are mm looking around, trying around, but nobody does it really seriously. Mm -hmm. Or just a very few. Yeah, totally. So I'm totally going to do this right now. <laughs> 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 no, I, th I think the interesting thing is, 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 to me, what the interesting thing would be to see if it's possible is to see, can we binder jet copper heat sinks, right? Uh, using, for example, mm -hmm. uh, like digital metal, um, mm -hmm. right? So that would mean that we have a lower cost thing. We still have the problems with BinderJet, the, the, the mm -hmm. BinderJet's annoying, right? Um, we can't mm -hmm. make all the structures, we can't definitely make all the sizes of the heatsink, right? Yeah. But, um, but just generally, I think for, for, generally for an EV heatsink, that seems to be kind of a cool application. Yeah. Um, you yeah. could do copper, which is a material they like, and then you could make a geometry that's super optimal for that one particular vehicle, yeah. for that one particular size, for that one particular uh, mm -hmm. part of the vehicle, and, and you could mass mm -hmm. customize it. And yeah, I think yeah. that that would be better performing than a lot of other heat sinks. Now, the fact, of course, is that yeah, you're going to be two zeros off the cost. That's a problem. Yeah, this is a problem. But but still, I think I, I totally agree that Finanjet has good, mm -hmm. let's say, conditions um, for this, um, especially for the EV vehicles. I think this could be could be interesting for the future. I see that. I think for the, the thing about heat sinks, and most people don't consider this. You don't need perfect quality in terms of mechanical properties. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. It's more about efficiency. It's more about how many, um, yeah, how big is the surface and so on. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And and I I think this is actually something that is not considered and should be considered to look at the cost. Of course, if you can reduce the quality of the material. Mm -hmm. For example, binder jet, which doesn't have the kind of mm -hmm. properties, at least not mm -hmm. like laser powder diffusion. Also, you can reduce the quality of laser powder diffusion parts to get heat gains and cost improvement. So mm -hmm. I think if you if you want to go into to this field, you have to think also a bit differently and also do mm -hmm. some not only material innovation but also process innovation. Uh, Jochen, uh, what do you want to be like? What do you hope to accomplish as an IAPT or as an automotive person, IAPT for the last couple of years? What do you hope to? Where do you hope to be? If I can uh, paint the future, um, I would, I would, I would say um, for now, I would like to have um, some more applications and uh, really drive this high-end car applications because I think now we have proven that it's possible 
we now I know we know how to do it with um, some help of innovation to to get this done. Um, I think we are ready to do it. We just need the companies who are willing to do it. And and the second part will be I think this will be we are now looking strongly in this direction is the production integrated additive manufacturing and production. I think this is the hot topic already now, and mm-hmm. I think this will improve over the next year. So improving the digitization now. Um, improving the connectivity to um, conventional manufacturing, um, improving the automation degree. Um, I think this are, uh, is, a ne- is a future um, afterwards. So I think we will, I, what I would like to have or what I would like to position us in is first now um, to do this engineering uh, work and then go really into production uh, with some innovative production lines that are feasible for automotive fuel production. So this is a little bit of my vision um, at the moment. Um, and uh, yeah, let's see how it plays out in this environment of um, automotive, uh, where at the moment my impression is that main drive is into the direction of electric vehicle, not so much into additive material. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, Jochen. Uh, thank you so much uh, for being here today. Yeah, thank you too for inviting me. It was really a pleasure to to chat here with you, and uh, let's let's stay stay in contact for future um, exchanges yeah. like this. Please. All right, cool. And Max, thank you for being here. Oh, thank you, George. And uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Uh, have a great day, and this is the Three D Pod. You've been listening to the Three D Pod. For more information on what you just heard, or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.